Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? Welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today I have with me an amazing guest and it's go- we're going to spend the next half hour or so talking books and publishing. So I'm really excited about that. This guy is an expert. I'd like to welcome Jeff McDonald. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mel. Great to be on your show. Yeah. Now I've waited for this one, everyone. He has published or just recently published a book called Done. Why You Fail to Finish Your Projects and What to Do About It. Now, everyone who knows me knows exactly why I've got Jeff on board. <laughs> uh, just before I hand over to you, Jeff, I just want to finish that introduction because not only has Jeff published a book, he has a bio that has kept me busy for the last two or three hours. <laughs> uh, so we're going to start with he has. Get this, everyone. He's read 550 books in the last 30 years wrote 60-plus e-books um, under the guise of Book Wrapper, which we'll talk about shortly. He's got 990 blog posts and apparently somebody counted them and over 100 podcast episodes. And that's just in his spare time because this guy is a public speaker. He's an ideas architect and the list goes on. Jeff, what else do you do in your spare time? <laughs> you forgot my eight books. Ah, <laughs> oh, sorry, everybody. I'll just go back through my notes. There are eight books, which we're going to we're going to delve into in a lot more detail today. Just accept from me that this guy is one amazing man, and I think we'll have to have him back for seven podcasts. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Happy to talk, but I think your listeners might get a bit bored by then. <laughs> okay, let's start with the current uh, project, and it is Project Done. Help us out, Jeff. We're writers, and some of us are perhaps um, little bits of procrastinators, and that's what attracted me to your book in the first place because I believe you had that problem yourself, even though the list doesn't indicate that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I can point to that list of all these things that I've done, but um, I'm probably closer to you than you think, and I think it's an interesting one that there's probably a little tipping point there. But um, So basically I did my strengths profile. Um, a while back and I realized that I was so I had almost no strengths around the execution stuff and pretty much that summed up what I'd been doing so a few years ago I bought a new laptop computer and previously I had a desktop that had this really big hard drive on it when I got the laptop it had a really small hard drive on it so I couldn't just press the button to copy all the files over I had to sort of manually sort through them and um I found an old book file. I was like, oh, wow, I spent a lot of time on that one, but I never really did finish it. And this went on and on. I finished up, there was 25 unfinished books. And they weren't just, you know, headline blank folder. It was like 50 to 100 to 150 pages on each of these books. And it was just like, oh, my God, how much of my, you know, what's going on here that if I'd finished well, even half of them, um, life would have been different. I'd had a whole bunch of products. I'd, you know, I'd be known for a whole bunch of my ideas. And it was kind of in that moment that I realised that my life had been about building this body of work 
but I hadn't actually finished half my body of work. So heaven forbid had the lightning bolt come down and zap me on the head at that moment, I would have had nothing to show. I would have had a whole bunch of unfinished stuff to show for what I was doing. So I'd done a lot of writing and a lot of effort, but I actually didn't finish them. So I realised, I think I need to fix this or at least address it. And that's where done came from. Um, a lot of the stuff out there on um, productivity, it really suits someone that's left brain and sequential. So if you follow lists beautifully, that's perfect for you. You just need you know, that sort of approach. Just write your list and then tick them off. But I found I couldn't do that. I just got bored really quickly. And I think it, um, for a lot of creative people, and I think a lot of writers are like this, it's like you say one thing and I'll go off on three different tangents. And, and that makes it really hard to finish a book. I'm always generating the ideas but not able to bring them back. So it's that divergent thinking, convergent thinking piece. And so I just had to research how I could get it done and that's what the book became. It was like, how do I get projects done? And that's why it's the, for people who don't get traditional projects done. So it might fit you that way as well. Now, everybody, uh, Jeff and I are soulmates up until a point, <laughs> okay? For the first half of that, I'm nodding my head going, this is me, this is me. I've spent 20 years living in mining towns writing novels, writing essays, writing articles, and they're all sitting around here. I think I counted up everything that my daughter and I have made to this point is something like 130 products. What have we published? <laughs> About two. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to hear, I believe there's seven rules to getting through some of this stuff and everyone, I'm not the only one out there who does this stuff. And it's not through fear. Like people say, oh, if you're not publishing and you're not doing this, it's through fear. It's got absolutely nothing to do with it. It's because you've found another shiny object and you're off playing with that one. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the simplest strategy that I've got that worked for me was to break things down into smaller chunks. So when I looked at the book, so clearly I've written a few books, but there was all these other things that I didn't finish. And, and the same with all the book wrapper ebooks that, what I realized was if I, I basically have the attention span of about a week. So if I have a project that's going to last a week, I don't actually have to create a project plan for it. I can just sort of stay on track mentally for it. But when it gets past a week, that's when I'm likely to get distracted by a whole bunch of stuff and I need to put other things in play. So it was kind of, I don't know whether that fits for you. Have you got a time frame that you work to that it's like, mine was really clear that it was a week, but I go for as long as I can and then I stop and I put it down. But everyone, let's let's be honest and fair here. It's it's our children's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be my parents' fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think life um life has its ups and downs and, and things happen where you can't finish things. But mm. I, I do think that a lot of us suffer from that same problem is the length of some of these projects. Uh make us get lost a little bit and it takes doesn't take very much to put us off track does it yeah and that's why i think we need to break it down into something like some people really are you know dogs at a bone and they can stick at a project forever they're like chugging diesel engines and they just chug 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 whereas i'm a sprinter you know i go for a short sprint and then i stop then i take a break but the problem with that approach is when i take a break and come back i've usually as you've suggested oh oh there's something else over there let's go over there you know, and I just get distracted and I start something new, um, yeah. which is kind of a, a strength around creativity and innovation, not a strength around execution and finishing yeah. stuff. 
And everyone, I did try to get on to, you talked about that strength, um, what was it, the strength profile? Mm-hmm. And I think it costs a few dollars to do it though, doesn't it? Um, the one I did is the Gallup Strength Finder, which is about $15. Um, and you can buy one of, um, I think it's Marcus Buckingham's books. Um, I can't remember the title now, but have a look at them and you get the free test with the book. The other way, if you want a free one, if you will go to the VIA, which is Values in Action, they do a strength profile, which is for free. Slightly yeah. different, but very similar. Yeah, Same and it's you. interesting, everybody, and I'm sure we've all done some of those, um, you know, working out what our strengths are and, and things like that. And I come in very strongly under the ideas uh, character, and I've always said that I'd need, I need a manager to go and do everything that I want done. So along came my daughters and I thought, yes, they can actually do everything. <laughs> and heaven forbid my oldest daughter's got exactly the same brain as me. So we have a lovely time with our ideas, but nothing actually happens. Uh, yeah. Now, Jeff, well, I want to start here today with your book wrapper series because, everyone, this is, this is something that we as creatives can really take advantage of. Uh, Jeff reads all the books for us and we're talking business books here and then we'll move into the writing books. So... He's got these little guides out that, as you said, they take, what, an, a night to read on each? And uh, they, half, they were designed to read in about half an hour, maybe about mm. 40 minutes tops. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um, so where that started was one day I was sitting there doing some client work and I think it was probably a Wednesday or something and I was just like, I had this pile of books that I wanted to read and I thought, oh, bugger the client work, I'm going to read this book. And I went and sat down on the couch and I picked up the book and I felt really guilty all of a sudden that I should be doing the client work. And then I made a deal with myself. It's like, if I can get paid to read books, then I can read a book during the week. Otherwise, I've got to read the books either in the evening or the weekend. And that's sort of where Book Wrapper sort of came out of that. So Book Wrapper essentially is, um, it's, it's like a book summary service, except I don't literally summarise the book. I rewrite them in a different way and may even reorganise the material. Sometimes they're quite close to the book, sometimes they're a little bit different to the books. But basically instead of taking four to six hours to read a business book, um, it was like how can you read this in about half an hour and that's what they were designed to do. And what came out of that was not only I had to read the books in a systematic sort of way and I was already reading the books and I was already taking notes. So when it first started, I just produced better notes and that's when people said, oh, you should sell this. And it's like, oh, really? Um, and then I thought, okay, well, I'll have a crack at selling it. Um, and it sort of came, went from there. And the basic idea started to be, well, I drew a lot of diagrams. So my original career was as an architect. So I'm always sketching and diagramming and modelling and doing diagrams of things. And that's where Book Wrapper really was a limited amount of words but also um, some pictures and diagrams about what are the key concepts in the book. And the idea was that they were all on horizontal A4 sheets that you should be able to hold up the sheet and just by looking at it, you should roughly be able to get what the core idea is and then if you want to, you can read it. So if you picked up the, the issue, which might be 10 or 12 or 14 pages long, you should be able to scan it and just go, okay, got it, scan, got it, scan, got it. So you can actually get the ideas very quickly, but then you can also read the the words on it so you can get a deeper thing and then if you wanted more you can obviously go to the book so I was looking at that sort of layering around ideas. Yeah now these things have really taken off I think you've got they've been distributed over a hundred thousand times and they they feed very nicely into your public speaking and the work that you do with big corporations and clients don't they? Yeah they do because 
fundamentally, and I think this is an, uh, well, I guess it was sneaky on my part, but that was my research. So I was already reading the books and capturing ideas. And it wasn't like every book. It was only when I found a book that it's like, oh, wow, this is such an important set of ideas. I really want to learn how to, um, what's going on here. And it was kind of that old maxim that to really learn something, you want to teach it to somebody else. So that's where I'd really dive into the book and I'd write it in the book wrappers as if I was going to teach it or share, some, share it to someone else. And then out of that, that's when I've been able to write other books. So all those materials and the 60-odd book wrappers, I've been able to slowly wean into other things. So a lot of the, the done book came from other book wrappers that I've, that I've actually created. So it was kind of using my research, packaging it up in a way that people could get some value from it so therefore I could sell it. And then also when I'm doing presenting or, um, or running a course or something, it's like, oh, we're talking about a concept. Oh, you want more on that? Oh, here's the wrap. Go and read that. So it became a nice little system for me. Yeah. Now, if you're not jealous, remember, everybody, this started by a guy lying on a couch and reaching <laughs> out and bludging and feeling guilty about not working, and it's turned into this huge business gain for you. I mean, that's smart stuff. Well, I think, to be honest, I think you've just got to follow your nose and use your strengths. It's like that really suited me because I was strong at writing and I was strong at the visuals and putting those together, all of a sudden I've got something unique. And the reality was I didn't actually know that I did that well until I started doing it and people started going, hey, that's really good. I really like that. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> so it's kind of dumb luck, but it's also kind of experimenting. I always tell people, go and experiment on something. If something appeals to you, go off and create a little experiment for a week or two weeks or maybe a month. And find out whether that appeals to you and find out also whether it appeals to someone else. And that's really what happened with Book Wrapper. Out of that, it became a business that hasn't given me all of my income, but it's certainly built up a brand and awareness of me and my skills, but it's also led, opened a whole bunch of doors for me as well. Yeah. Now, that's a writer's dream, everybody. And and don't forget that Jeff coaches, he's, he's created Project Done, but prior to that, there was Project Passion. Yeah, Project Passion was the prototype for Project Done. So part of the, one of the principles in the book is around um, the minimum viable product, which is an idea that comes from the lean startup and, and from scrum agile thinking. And basically traditionally, and this is really important to what we're talking about with the books, that rather than sit down and do the classic Ernest Hemingway and hide away in your log cabin for six months and go basically mad until you finish your book, that's the old style of do one big iteration, whereas the new style around the minimum viable product is to produce really short versions of things and just keep publishing all the way. So originally the idea for Project Passion was, okay, I've started to cobble together some of these ideas of how you get projects done. Let's see if I can sell it as a program. And literally that was one of the first names I came up with. Okay, that's good enough. Throw it out there will someone sign up? And I had two or three people sign up for the first program. So I thought, okay, this is worth developing. And then I basically wrote the program. Oh, I've got people turning up this week. I better write something for them. So I wrote the program on the fly. Um, and then I think I ran maybe six or seven under the banner of Project Passion and then I re redesigned it. So that's when I thought, okay, it's not really about passion. Um, because there's other things that are more important here. So let's call it Project Done instead. So that was a name change and a redesign. But they're essentially 
mostly the same program. Yeah. Now, we hear this story a lot in the indie publishing world, everyone. Uh, shipping smaller sooner, uh, minimum vial product. We built all our courses the night before we were due to deliver them with our kids. Uh, and it works because you're on your best game there because you have to, because you're desperate. Uh, yeah. and, and that comes in very, very handy as a driver. But I also noticed something here, and I snuck this in in my reading this morning. You were reading a book and it was by Lisa Crone and it was called Story Genius. And I found these little words that intrigued me. You almost wrote your first novel. <laughs> yeah, I, I was really excited about her book because it really showed how to actually create plots and plans and characters and all the rest of it. And I think in my world anyway, writing a non-fiction book is relatively easy um, because there's certain easy structures you can use. Whereas a novel is like there's a whole bunch of, it's almost uh, foreign territory, it certainly is for me. So writing a novel would be a bigger challenge than it would be for me to write a non-fiction book. And one day, I sort of still have it in my head, one day I'd like to have a crack at it. I don't know how good it would be, the first one, but I'm happy to admit it probably take four or five before it turned out to be a decent one. But um, one day I might just write a novel and her book really would be one of the resources I'd use for that. Yeah, it's really interesting, everyone. I notice a lot of, and a lot of the younger blokes who are out in this um, entrepreneurial field and they're getting rich on all the non-fiction stuff. And then when they're rich, they suddenly down tools and think, oh, I think I'll write a novel now, novel now as if that's the highest height and the highest accolade, you know, that you can reach, that you can actually write fiction. Um, whereas I'm sure some of us who write fiction, me included, look at all the non-fiction writers there and our eyes glaze over because of the detail and the statistics mm. and the facts that go into it. So I'm guessing there's a skill set for each. Absolutely. I think that's spot on. Um, obviously, I think my strength is around concepts, so ideas, architect, concepts, um, whereas I've really had to learn how to write stories and even over the years. So originally when I came out of university, I could write the best gobbledygook academic paper you've ever you've never read or never wanted to read, um, and over time um, I've actually had to I've completely changed my learning my writing style, and book wrapper was a big step towards that where it was like, let's put this into everyday language, but also write really short sharp sentences. So a, su a summary or a shorter version of a book really require I couldn't write so basically. A simplified version of what I do with book wrapper is I take all the case studies and stories out and try to just go, okay, here's the core concept, here's three examples, here's what it means as a definition. So that's that kind of concept and limited detail, which really probably suits me, whereas to write a story or a novel is a way other different way of describing the world. And that's something I've had to learn. And even done was very much an experiment around that for me, that it's very much more story orientated to illustrate the points in the book. And I think it's a much better read because of it. And, and that was part of reading books like Lisa Cron's Story Genius and the other ones that I was reading at the time of how do you actually tell more of a story so you can be more engaging? And I think that's the art of someone like a, a Malcolm Gladwell or a Daniel Pink where they can write strong non-fiction books but are so beautifully written with rich stories that you really just love to read them. And that was part of what I was looking for. I think I'd read too many boring business books, so I wanted something to be a little bit more engaging and have a bit more personality in it as well. 
Yeah, and I find it really interesting. And this is I've gravitated towards LinkedIn, everyone, and I'm I'm sort of uh, watching very quietly all the business brains at work. And I quite often wonder, like, as creatives, we always get business people to to do our business side of things for us because we know that that's really boring and we don't want to. And I quite often wonder why business people don't just get the creatives to write their books for them because all this talk about story branding and and building the story around your business, we can do it on a dime. Yet we've got all these business people out there struggling and paying all these people thousands of money, uh, thousands of dollars to do courses, and then they attempt it themselves and muck it up. Uh, there doesn't seem to be this um, this melding of the brains, does there? Well, I think melding is the perfect word, that it really is about having both sides of them come together. So a writer by themselves, I'm going to say a creative writer to be extreme about it, can write wonderful things about all sorts of wonderful things, whereas a business person has, as a generalisation, much harder, precise concepts so that they do, they do sort of um, collide a little bit. But in the same way, if you can bring both those sides together, um, and I think it's partly, I don't know, I sort of still get the picture that creativity and writing and these sorts of skills are diminished to a certain extent because we can all write, of course, um, but I think there's a big difference between someone who writes well and we just know this is good to read, like my example of Malcolm Gladwell compared to, you know, I've read quite a few books. Um, it's kind of, I'm going to be probably a bit rude here, but it's like often the local authors um, just aren't as good as the international authors. And I'll add a caveat to that, that I think it's because we only get the good books from overseas whereas we get all of the books locally, so we get a mix of really good and, and not so good. Um, but often they're just poorly written or they're average written or they're not even that current. And I guess that can't, that's the downside for me of reading a lot of books, that I read a lot of average books as well. Um, yeah. Sometimes I don't read to the finish of them, but, um, you know, so be it. Yeah, and I have heard a comment, uh, and it was when I was when I was reading, um, I think Rest and a few of those other books, and I, I really got into the business books, and I've got piles of them over there. And then I stopped buying them for the exact same reason that you say, is because some are so amazing and deep, and and you really get your value. Others, they've got two half pages per per screen, and you just think, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I wasted my money on this, um, because there seems to be this proliferation of the business card book where I'm going mm. to be an expert because I've put something out and you go, well, actually, no, that doesn't quite make you an expert. It just makes you a deal. Yeah, it's, I certainly agree with the viewpoint. If you're going to be a, a thought leader or a subject matter expert or a speaker or an, an expert on something, then having a book up your sleeve is really valuable, particularly from a positioning point of view, because also it's something to hang your hat on. I can say, oh, Jeff McDonald, author of Done. Oh, wow. And I think there's two points around being an author. The first one is there's a presumption that you know enough about something that you can dribble on for 100, work, 100 pages. The other thing is that, oh, well, this guy must at least be able to get things done because he dribbled on for 100 pages. Um, but I think there's also a point that nowadays, and I quite bluntly say this to people, that, yes, by all means, you need to write a book. However, no one's going to read it. And... What I mean quite literally by that is very few people are going to read it. So even if I walked in and we had a meeting and I threw a book on the table, you'd probably flick through it and go, oh, yeah, that looks good. And as long as it looked reasonable, you'd probably think that was credibility for me. But how many people are actually going to stop and read the book? And what I'm finding is 
people are reading less and less books. Apparently the stats say people are reading more and more, but it's less and less of books. So they're reading a lot more blog posts and a lot more articles and things like that, which is potentially dangerous because it's just a skim off the top and people aren't getting the deep, deeper understanding of topics and deeper, you know, so people read an article and think they know everything about artificial intelligence. Like, sorry, read 10 books and come back to me. Um, and I think that's where there's a definitely a position for the author to be writing the book. Like you need, like putting a book out is almost like an essential thing to be in the game, particularly for a lot of speakers. If you haven't got a book, they're sort of questioning, you know, how do we know you know something here? But it also is no guarantee that it's going to be a good book. And that includes my books as well. Some of them are a little bit embarrassing, but, you know, at the time they're the best you got, so you put them out there. Yeah, and, and that's shipping fast and shipping often, everyone. Now, you are a great speaker, uh, and I'm going to bring bring up something else in a minute, but you, you do a lot of speaking, don't you? Um, I'm about to launch uh, more formally. I've, I've tended to do speaking more ad hoc. So I've, I've been on quite a few podcasts. I've run lots of webinars. I've actually spoken at quite a few events, but I've never actively pursued it. Whereas in the next month, I'm about to put up a speaker site and actually deliberately start chasing some speaking gigs to do more of them. Because yeah, I want that to be my business model where I can write and research and produce my ideas and then present them as in through my speaking engagements and cut out a lot of the other work that I do. Yeah, and there's a big need for that. Um, that That is a real, I think that's a real growth area. People want to bring you into their business. They want the evening speeches. They want the conferences and they want someone who knows what they're talking about. Now, you've, you've clearly given yourself an amazing education simply through reading. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's like I, I wouldn't recommend that what I've done to other people, um, but it suits perfectly for me because basically I'm a learner. Um, I love learning. Um, I, I say it in my book. I actually love school. Um, and, you know, I couldn't think of anything better than going to school was, you know, you walk, I, I live next to the school, which kind of helped, but you walk across the, the football oval. I was at school. We'd played handball. We'd go to class. The teacher would feed us stuff and I'd just soak it all up. Then we'd play handball again. The teacher would feed us more stuff. And I'm really a sponge for learning. So that really suits me to be an ex. I guess it's the natural product that someone who's going to learn consistently over 30, 40 years is actually going to be an expert in something at some point. And I think the other ace I have up my sleeve is because I trained as an architect, I have all the training around design thinking. So I can actually put things together and ideas and combinations and slides and visuals and tell a story that way. So I'm not a natural word storyteller, but I can tell stories through visuals and diagrams and design thinking. And that combination put, makes it, gives me an advantage in some ways over others. Yeah. Now, everyone, um, Jeff is an architect and he does have something about home offices that I'll ask him because uh, <laughs> we all want the perfect home office, as I said, yeah. dining room table. Uh, but I've been doing some reading and following through because of my interest in podcasting and talking it out rather than writing it down. And I was reading this morning about this wonderful thing called Alexa Flash Briefings. Oh. And and what they are is they're little one-minute news things that you can tell your little um, Google pod home speaking thing. I don't even know what they're called. I'm so technical. But <laughs> <laughs> the way of the future is clearly having these little snippets of information 
and broadcasting them out so while I'm doing whatever I'm doing in the house, I can just say, what's my, uh, what do you call it, my Alexa flash briefing news for the day? And Alexa will tell me and then it will bring up your stuff. So that's got to be a way. You said, you know, we're moving away from the written word and reading. But in a way, we're just um, taking it in in another form and that form is just going to grow and snowball, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely think the future is voice. So there's no accident that Apple, Google, um, Amazon are all piling millions of dollars into voice systems. Um, And I think it's also no accident that podcasting is on the rise in parallel with that and the same audible books that people are listening to more books than they're reading. And I think that fundamentally comes down to that to, to read something, we actually need to sit down and concentrate. And most of us aren't that good at that anymore. However, um, I can always carry my smartphone around and when I'm driving in the car, walking the dog, doing the gym, washing the dishes, whatever else, I can actually be doing something like that. So auditory is definitely coming through. And I think there's a real opportunity there for writers in one sense. So there's a point where we're going to have to slightly change our language so that what we write needs to be more auditory focused. And my own example was book wrapper, but because it was so short, sharp sentences that relied on the visuals, I found it very difficult to make sense of that into an auditory um, process, that it needed almost to be rewritten to make sense if I was actually just reading it out out loud. So being aware that your words may need to be translated into audio does tell you you probably need to write a particular way or not write a particular way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, now, I was doing a, I was doing a um, workshop with Nick Earls, a writer here in Brisbane, just recently, and we were talking about that very thing and the difference with audio, it says me pointing to my ears on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> is, uh, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the intimacy of of voice is right there in your head right from the beginning and you have to adapt your words to that intimacy but because we're very much um we're knee deep in podcast fiction at the moment the potential is huge for for writers and storytellers yeah particularly i really think that's the key word for podcast that it's intimate so not only do you get to hear someone's voice which tells you a lot about who they are and what they are you get to hear them laugh, you get to hear them pause, you get to hear them um, you get to hear them think. Like, well, you, get, you don't quite get to hear them think. But you get to hear a whole other range of things about them. You can hear when they're excited or when they're, they're now doing serious or, you know, so there's a real expression there. It's a bit like adding emoticons to text messages. All of a sudden it expands the range of things that we can say things with those little icons that's very difficult to put into precise words. And I think that's the opportunity of finding ways to keep expressing ourselves. And ultimately, that's what the technology is all there for. It's just like, okay, how do I express myself um, in that way? And probably another example was when I wrote the book Done. Originally, I thought it was going to be a quick 30-day project because I already had the course. And my first thought was, all I have to do is transcribe the course and clean it up with a bit of an edit and I've got a good conversational style thing and when a good conversational style book but when I um, started doing that I realized that was so off the mark and I had to skip that completely and go back to square one and go okay what does a book look like how does a book look like because it's not a course right and I had to rewrite it and I think that's the piece of ultimately we're still dealing with words it's just whether they're spoken words or whether they're written words and they're similar but there's also a little bit of a difference. 
Yeah. Now I've sub oh, I've subscribed to your newsletter, Jeff, and it comes mm. in everybody. And I you're the one that reads. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do read it um, <laughs> mainly because I knew you were coming up on the podcast. And I look at this thing, and it may be there's not a lot of text to it, and there's always visuals. I have to sit and stare at this thing for 20 minutes um, because <laughs> I have, it's telling me a story from so many different directions that, and the messages are, are so strong that I have to sit there and I actually have to think about it. And I thought it's interesting because they're not big, are they? These newsletters, these no. emails aren't that big. But I think because there are so many components to them that you're actually telling a whole story in a page. Well, that's so the, the literal, they're the weekly done ones, which is going to be my next book. So I've compiled 50 of them. Um, so basically the idea is that there's a strategy each week that you could actually use. And that's pretty much what came out of Book Wrapper. So you can imagine Book Wrapper being 10 of them as a summary of the book. And this was a big decision for me around focus that I think is important for um, writers as well as other people. But it came down to should I... Um, keep going with my podcast, which I kind of enjoy, but I don't think I'm a natural interviewer and it's kind of nice to talk to people, but it's kind of more of a fun thing on the side rather than something I really thought saw as a celebration on myself versus how could I actually use my strength around book wrapper of combining visuals with words? And that's what Weekly Done has become. It's like, okay, one idea per week, one page. So you can actually get it, read it in, five minutes <laughs> rather than 20, um, hopefully five minutes, um, but hopefully you can get the idea quickly. Um, but it's also nice to hear that you, you can angle it from a diff few different perspectives of, okay, here's a, an action to take, here's an idea to grab, and here's a little bit of context or a short story or an example around it. So I'm yeah. pleased that you're reading them and enjoying them. And they are everybody. There are 52 of them and I think I'm up to about, what, 20 or something. Uh, and I think you did say they were coming together in a book. Uh, yeah. If there's one thing you read uh, this year, everyone, don't worry about um, Jeff's book wrapper things. Just listen to me and I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. There's a weekly done thing. It's really good for people like, like I say like me, but a lot of my listeners as well, because we can absorb this stuff um, in one sitting without having to flick through books and go everywhere else because it's sitting there on our screen and it takes up the whole screen and there's boxes and and it, it's a good way of learning the I think the processes of doing things and and how to put things together because I'm used to just walking around the park with my um, dragon dictation on and just blathering away and writing my fiction you actually have to stop and be strategic it, it's a skill isn't it yeah, and it's a, it literally uses a different part of the brain. So when you're talking and telling stories is one part of the brain, but when you're being strategic, I don't know which part of the brain it is, but you're using a different part of the brain. Um, and I think that's part of being successful these days. We need to be able to switch in and out of things. But it's also about, certainly from a design point of view, from where I'm coming from is I wanted, so Ideas Architect is really about designing ideas so people can engage with them and do engage with them. And that one pager is kind of my version of what I think people will engage with right now. And particularly because it's visually interesting, people will at least look at it for starters so it gets their attention. And then the visuals hopefully can tell them roughly what's going on. And then it's that thing of, oh, I better read the words while I'm here. Um, and that's a very different approach to um, writing, a, let's say, a novel, which is basically words. So you can't really scan a novel. You can't look for the chapter headings and see the diagrams and that sort of stuff. So I can scan a business book because of certain ways that it's laid out. But when you sit looking at a novel, it's a different way to read things. 
Um, but it's also a, a valuable way to read things that I think there's something about just really nice sitting down. And particularly, I still love my printed books, having it in your hand, sitting in the couch, maybe the TV is on or the fire's on or whatever, and just enjoying the book um, and being lost in the book and enjoying the, the language of the book and the mood of the book and all the rest of it. So there's a real value there. So I'm not saying don't do that. Um, I'm just saying just be aware that the ways we've packaged up ideas in the past are changing because we have new technology that lets us do it in different ways and people are preferring a lot more auditory stuff than they are about the written word. Yeah, and it's really exciting uh, because we're constantly learning and we're constantly picking new things up. Now, I really did want to talk, everyone, about Jeff's uh, best books for authors and writers because he has a whole series of them. Um, but clearly we've run out of time for that and I've still got two more exciting things that I want to talk about. <laughs> but if you get a chance, go over to Jeff's um, uh, series on best books for authors and writers because he has a couple of my very favourite ones. Roy Peter Clark, Help for Writers and the Art of X-Ray Reading. I use that in all my workshops. It is just a brilliant book where we look at the great writers, as we know to do, and we start to dissect and work out how they make a beautiful sentence. And that's a real, really beautiful book that I got very excited about when I saw amongst all your business books. I went, yes, okay, soulmate moment. These books are fantastic. I love him. I just think he writes, like he's got three or four books. Writing short is one of my favourites as well. He's just brilliant. Yeah, I like help. I think it's help for writers. Yes. I liked it so much I bought it twice. Um, <laughs> Sam told me, you've already got that one, Mummy. I said, oh, have I? <laughs> so now I've got two copies. Um, yeah, so so keep your eye out, everybody. I will reference some of this stuff because there's too much of it here today to to get into one very quick in, uh, conversation. Some notes yeah. that go with the podcast. Yeah, or go to go to Jeff's website. I'll, you'll, you'll get lost for hours, I can tell you. <laughs> uh, two things. Uh, tell us about how gaming slipped into your conscious amongst all this other stuff that you do board games was a funny sort of thing the funny story is that i did a nlp course many years ago and um it was a week it was a 10-day course or something so it was a big course and then about a month later the group said oh look, why don't we get together and discuss what we learned and someone said um why don't we each bring something that we can show others to do and so jeff created a board game <laughs> And I, and I never thought anything of it. I just sat down and thought, oh, this will be fun. I'll make a board game. So the night before I made up this board game, took about an hour and it's kind of worked and took it along. And they're like, where did you get this from? Oh, I just made it up last night. And they all just looked at me with their jaws dropped. What do you mean you made it up? Oh, I was just sitting there. I was a bit bored. I thought we needed something for that. I made it up. And I think that's the, the really very much around how my brain thinks, that it's that architect design systematic process sort of stuff. And for a while there, I was designing some for clients, but they just became too hard to do because they require so much testing. So coming up with the initial concept is easy, but actually refining it so it's useful in a business context of about two to three hours is the tough part. Um, so unless people were paying me lots and lots of money, it wasn't worth it from the point of view of the testing that it required. So that was fun for a while. Yeah, I know I read, um, we went through a stage, we always played board games because we lived in caravan and Pandemic was a game that we got quite hooked on and then the guy who made Pandemic or wrote Pandemic, he went out and he put his next board game out, took him three years to write the story behind yeah. the game. So it's, look, it's a huge market and it's a huge other story but they're just as much writers as the rest of us, aren't they? And if you want a simple clue on how I did them, I actually used the hero's journey. 
So if you think about a, bo a board game as a story, where are we starting from? What are the problems you're going to have along the way? How do you start to come up with a strategy to succeed? And what's the winning moment at the end? So it does follow a natural story path. So I actually started with board games and found stories after that. So kind of reverse. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to, I'm sitting here trying to think everybody. I had a guy on the podcast and he's an American fellow and he is an expert on the, um, the writer's journey and he uses it in all his story branding stuff for, for business and it's a, it's a common book that I hear referenced all the time, The Writer's Journey, and it's that archetypical, archetypal um, mm. story progression, which is something that I think we've probably all got on our bookshelves and it's really interesting that business people are bringing it into their story branding nowadays as well. Absolutely. All right, I'm, I'm going to finish off because I could talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> oh, someone to talk books with everybody, books and writing. Maybe we'll change the title of our podcast to Let's Talk Books and Writing Forever. Uh, but I want to finish with you are an architect of ideas and you are a designer and you have the perfect home office uh, design. Well, that was my first book. So it was called A Home Office You Love and it started with Back then, people were just starting to set up their home offices and the first idea was as simple as people would always take the spare room. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to have my home office and I'm going to sit in there for eight hours a day, give them the day's only 24, I'm going to sleep for eight of them and I'm going to spend the next third of it sitting in this office. I want the best room in the house. I'm not sitting in some back room looking at some neighbour's fence and hearing a dog barking. So that was the, the first idea. So then it was like, okay, how would you do that? And the basic frame that I used was the NLP logical level. So it was working through what are your values, what are your beliefs about how it should look, um, and so forth until it got to the point where you're describing your action, your office for yourself. You know, so it's really uh, the simple version of it is, so what would be your ideal space to work in? And for me, it's like, well, I actually want to look out at least onto a garden or something. I don't want to be crammed up against a wall. I want some space around me because I'm highly visual. Um, I don't want, I, I want the noise to be a minimum. Um, what else do I want? Um, these days with laptops, well, I'm happy to go and work in a coffee shop some days, but some days I want peace and quiet so I work in a library. Other days I want to work from home where I really want peace and quiet. Um, so it's just really thinking about what does your ideal home office look like if you're going to spend a lot of time there that you might as well shape it into something that you'd love walking into or at least you feel comfortable and safe in, you know, that it's quiet and it suits your needs. If you're going to spend eight hours of work, you want to make sure it's set up so you can do eight hours of good work. Yeah, and it's got a cat. <laughs> um, well, funny enough, I got, I got interviewed in The Age around that book and there's a, I was sharing a house with a guy and he actually had a pet white cat and the photographer came in to take the photos of us in, in our home office and the cat wouldn't get out of the picture <laughs> so in the finish the photographer said okay the cat's in the picture so the pictures of me have a cat walking literally I'm sitting in the desk and there's this big cat walking straight across the middle of it and that was the photo they used so cats in the photo about right yep yeah, and I can always tell the calibre of my podcast guests when my cat goes across the top of the computer screen and they'll either raise their eyes and go, oh, here's another amateur. I'll go, oh, cat. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah we, we writers don't worry too much about that. All right, everyone, uh, the book, 
done, why you fail to finish your projects and what to do about it, uh, put out by Jeff McDonald. He has a list in the back of that book of some of the things that he has actually done and finished, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more coming our way from Jeff once he, <laughs> once, once he gets himself organised and gets on that speaking circuit and, and hits the road again. Jeff, where can we find you? Because I discovered there were quite a few places. Yeah, probably the best one is just go to jeffmcdonald.com. So Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, McDonald as in Ronald McDonald, M-C, and .com. Um, and there's a whole bunch of things there. And as you said, you'll probably get lost for hours, which is a combination of lots of content that's probably not well organised. But oh. there you go. Really good fun, everybody. And if you're a book lover, ho-ho, all of us, uh, get on there and have a faucet because there's a lot in there for fiction writers. And I've only just touched the surface. Um, I didn't even mention Stephen King, so you should be proud of me. All right, so that's it from another episode of Writer on the Road. And that's it from Jeff Down, sitting on the ocean, aren't you? Are you down the bottom of Victoria? Ocean Grand Geelong, so yeah? it's, it's quite near Geelong. Kind of nice down here today. Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Mel.